body. Let me tell you something real quick. I actually ended up saying this on Sunday, and I meant to save it. But uh, to believe that the Holy Spirit takes over your body and makes you do things that are out of your control, uh, that puts him in a category of demon possession. Because that's what a demon does. When a demon gets in you, and, and they don't just get in you, I mean, you allow them. That's over a course of time. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that tonight, but, you know, don't think that, you know, I'm just being attacked by a demon. He's possessing my body, and now I can't do anything I want to do. But if you look at demon possession in the Bible, um, they take over. You look at the madman in Gadaria, um, he had no control over his life. I mean, he's actually damaging himself, um, and he had strength beyond physical ability. Uh, ridiculous stuff. But it's amazing to see how awesome it was that as soon as Jesus came onto the shore, the demons within him literally sent him running to Jesus, bowing down before him and begging him not to do away with him. I mean, that's, that's how much power Jesus has over a demon. So I'm not here to liven up you know, how strong demons are and how awesome they are, but they do possess someone. They do take over. They do take control. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't move in and through a person unless they yield. That's a very important word, yielding to the Holy Spirit. The Bible actually says, Paul said in Thessalonians, that you can quench the Spirit, which means that he's trying to move and you're actually stopping him or hindering the flow. So the Holy Spirit is not someone that takes over and makes you do crazy stuff and makes you look stupid and weird and then afterwards you're like, man, I can't believe I did all that and and all this, you know, ridiculous stuff that people say about the Holy Spirit and that we just tag him with. So that's why we wanted to start with the person of the Holy Spirit. We see him as a power, as a presence, as a feeling. And a lot of times we just tie him to an emotional thing that happens in church when he's a person and he wants to get to know you and he wants to operate and work with you. And so we said, first of all, that understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person brings to you the ability to cultivate or build a relationship with that person, with who he is. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in Matthew with Jesus, didn't just show up in the book of Acts with the disciples, didn't just show up when people started you know, speaking in tongues or the power of the Holy Spirit was evident. The Holy Spirit was right there at the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, actually, the very second verse of the entire Bible He's right there hovering over the waters, hovering over the face of the deep when God is getting ready to create the universe. So the Holy Spirit has always existed, and the Holy Spirit is just that, a spirit that is holy. He is the Spirit of God. And so we saw that man required the Holy Spirit to be in him. When Jesus or uh, when God created man out of the dust of the ground, he did what? <laughs> breathe into them, breathe into Adam the breath of life. What was that breath of life? That was the Holy Spirit going into Adam so he could now accomplish God's will on the earth. We said that the Holy Spirit is the communicator between a seen realm and an unseen realm, between heaven and between earth. Adam and Eve had no idea what God wanted them to do in the earth without the Holy Spirit. But there was a problem. The problem came because Adam sinned. And when sin came into man... Now God is faced with a dilemma because God requires man to get anything done on the earth. 
Anything that God wants to do in the earth, he has now turned over all that dominion to mankind, to you and I. But there's a problem. There's a dilemma that now God is faced with. Sin resides in us. And where sin is, God can't live. The two can't coexist. We've been saying this. So, in Genesis chapter 6, we see right before uh, he starts talking to Noah about, you know, let's figure out a way to fix this. Let's figure out a way to start over. And he says in Genesis chapter 6 that my spirit can no longer reside or abide or live in man. It can't be there. There's too much sin. There's too much that I'm against. There's too much fighting against me to allow my spirit to be there. So he had to withdraw his spirit. So we said this, that Jesus, when he came, Jesus being born of the spirit, the last Adam, he had the spirit already within him. And by doing that, he was able to remove sin out of man and reintroduce us to the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is not the end. And see, so many churches and so many pastors and so many people preach that Jesus is the end. You receive Jesus and now we're there. He's the beginning. In fact, he has come into our lives to introduce us to someone else. In fact, you come to Jesus, give your life to him, and now he says, now let me introduce you to somebody. I want you to meet somebody. And he's here to show us the Holy Spirit. That's why he was able to tell his disciples, it's actually better for me that I go. And obviously they're locking up, and, and we would lock up the same way, thinking, what? It's better for you to leave? I mean, you're doing all these miracles, you're doing all these signs. I mean, you're bringing the kingdom back to the earth. How could it be better for you to go? But he said, it's better for me to go because when I leave and go to the Father who is in heaven, I'm going to send to you the comforter. I'm going to send to you the helper. I'm going to send to you another. And that word another is not, you know, someone else like me or someone else that can do what I do. He's meaning an exact replica. What is in me and what's upon my life will now be upon you and upon your life. And so that way, everything that I did, you can do. Remember, he told his disciples when he came into that room, they're all locked up, scared and, and freaked out, and you know, thinking that people are trying to come and kill them because they just put to death their leader. You know, you think about it, you, you follow after someone hardcore, and, and, they, and they kill this person because of what they were saying and what they were doing. Who's next? How about the 12 people that went everywhere he went and did everything he did for the last three years? So they're all locked up, frightened, and scared. And Jesus just comes right on in the room, just as Jesus can. Walks right into the room, goes right through the wall, and says, Peace be unto you. And then he says, As I have been sent into the world. See, that's very key, because we don't ever think about that. We think Jesus came to take us out of the world. But he actually prayed to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. In fact, I ask you to keep them in the world. Because why? If you take them out of the world, then I have just died for nothing. I am dying. I am putting my life down, laying my life down. Remember, he said, no one can take my life. Nobody can take my life. I lay down my life. And he laid down his life. Why? So he could pull sin out. And sin had to come out so God's spirit could get back in. God has never abandoned his original plan. This is all tied into the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is there to help you do what he originally put us on this planet, on this earth to do. 
And just as Adam needed the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, now he's saying, as I was sent, you're sent. Everything I have done, you do. But I'm not expecting you to do it on your own. Thank God that he didn't leave us down here by ourselves to do this thing and figure this thing out by ourselves. He said, what I needed to accomplish my purpose, you need to accomplish your purpose. And just as Jesus received the Holy Spirit with John the Baptist, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and that's when he began his ministry. Jesus didn't begin his ministry when he was 12 years old or 18 years old or 25 years old. He began it when he was 30. And he began it when he came up out of the water and received the Holy Spirit upon his life. Now he's doing miracles. He's turning water into wine. He's walking on water. He's telling storms to stop. Uh, he's raising the dead, healing the sick, deaf are hearing, blind are seeing, the whole bit. Leprosy's going. There's nothing that stopped Jesus. And so now he's saying, what I needed to accomplish my purpose and my assignment, you need upon your life so you can accomplish your purpose and your assignment. And so Jesus introduced us. He actually showed us the way to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes within us so we can do what God originally planned for man to do. Remember, he said that he will do four things. He will bring things to your remembrance. Everything that I've said, everything that I've taught, how many of you know spending three years with Jesus, that can be exhausting mentally? Okay? Uh, this Bible can be exhausting mentally, naturally speaking, to your brain, to your mind. I don't care how, how many PhDs you have and how many letters come after your name and how many years you were in school, how many pieces of paper you have on the wall. This is an exhausting book. And there are men uh, on this planet that have given their life to study this thing. But Paul wrote that the word is not naturally discerned, which means with your physical little brain that we've been given cannot comprehend this thing. It is spiritually discerned. It's You attend to it. Uh, by your spirit within you and by the Holy Spirit telling you. So the Holy Spirit is with us to bring things to our remembrance. He's here to show us things to come. Remember, we said that God is not walking out our lives with us day by day. This thing is in his past. What happens to me tomorrow, God already knows is coming. And whatever problems arise in my life in 2012, he's already got the answer to get me out of it. Okay? So he's got the future. Thank God we have someone in our life who's already been where we're going and can show us around. Nobody wants to be uh, led or nobody wants to have a guide that doesn't know where they're going. Hey, we're going on a journey through your future. I don't know what's up ahead, so just you know, watch out. Be careful. No, the Holy Spirit knows. Don't step there. Uh, don't go over there. Nope, don't talk to that person. All right, now it's time to cut this thing off. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. He's a guide. He also said that he's a teacher. You know, a lot of times, as I've been saying, we associate the Holy Spirit with power and feelings and, uh, you know, gifts of the Spirit. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He teaches us. It says that he teaches us all things. That doesn't sound very powerful. I mean, most people want to hear a preacher versus a teacher. But teaching this word, I'm going to tell you right now, there is just as much power in what I'm saying tonight as if everyone was lined up in here and everyone received the Holy Spirit and we just went crazy and laughing and running and doing the whole thing. There's just as much power. You know, I saw someone uh, make a comment this past week that a lot of times we don't receive everything uh, from somebody because we 
prepackage them. If somebody's older, uh, if they speak slower, if they're not as excitable when they speak. Uh, you know, when I was at Rama, um, we had a teacher, his name was Doug Jones. And uh, if you asked anybody, they would say, yeah, Doug Jones, he's, he's my favorite. And Doug Jones was the first one to tell you, do not have favorites. Because what happens? Now you turn everybody else off. And although you may be listening, you're not really receiving. You're not on the edge of your seat. And you receive on the level that you perceive. So if I perceive that this person maybe doesn't have as much knowledge or, you know, they don't speak as fast and, you know, they don't really bring things down to my level, then you package them and you don't receive from them. And so the Holy Spirit is not to be put in a box of just showy gifts, crazy stuff, feelings and emotions and power. He's a teacher. So in the teaching of the Word, there is just as much power there as there is in laying hands on people and seeing the, the dead rise and, and demons cast out and sick healed and, and all that. There's just as much power. So these were the things that Jesus showed us he would do in our life. And in the last couple of weeks, we went and we identified that there's two parts to the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. First, there's the Holy Spirit coming within them. This takes place at salvation. When you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, the Spirit of God comes into you to do what? Change your character, to get you to live right. The Holy Spirit came within the disciples in John chapter 20. So now they could have a new character. Remember we said um, that you have an old nature and a new nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. But we said that takes place with the Spirit. So now we have this flesh that still wants to do what it wants to do. We still have a soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we still think the way we want to think. We still want the things that we want. And we still, you know, have emotions. Still are sad or angry or happy or, uh, you know, whatever. Anxious, worried. These are all different emotions that if we don't get them under control, we'll end up leading our lives. So we have this old nature that's combating the new nature that's come within us. So the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He comes within us to help us live out the right character. So when you don't feel like doing the right thing, he's there to help you do the right thing. The difference between conviction and condemnation, most people don't know the difference. Most people, when they feel uh, condemned, they're really feeling convicted and they just don't know it. Condemnation comes from the devil. The Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you are saved, the Satan cannot condemn you, but he can make you feel condemned. Condemnation is just reminding you of your past. It's Satan reminding you of what you were, who you were, things you did. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus said himself, that the Holy Spirit convicts. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you are. See the difference? Satan wants to tell you who you were. That's called condemnation. The Holy Spirit wants to tell you who you are. This is who you are now. That's conviction. So, because of who you are, 
you don't do this anymore. Because of who you are, you don't talk this way anymore. Because of who you are, you don't act this way anymore. Because of who you are, you don't think this way anymore. But see, a lot of Christians not knowing that, they're thinking that's the holy, that's the, they think that's the devil condemning them. How many of you have ever heard someone say, or maybe even said yourself, uh, you know, I didn't really like going to that church, I just kept, I felt condemned. You know what it probably was? It's probably conviction. What the pastor was saying was jumping all over your stuff because it was convicting you because you knew on the inside I'm better than what I've been living and the pastor's just been telling me what I'm capable of doing. But a lot of people tie that over to condemnation and it gets them to walk away. I've heard it many times. Yeah, we didn't go to that church. You know, I just, just felt condemned. I just felt, you know, every time I went in there and the pastor was preaching, he's probably hitting something on you that needed a change. And that was the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin so you could get out of it. That's the difference between conviction and the Holy Spirit. So the character is the first thing that changes. And then the last thing we saw was the Holy Spirit comes upon someone. We saw in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were told to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Although Jesus already breathed upon them. The Holy Spirit's come within them. But now he's saying, I need you to go to Jerusalem and wait. There's more. There's a gift that I have for you. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. We saw the effects of that. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, we saw that uh, they, had, they were able to speak in other tongues. Power came upon them. Power came upon their life. All of a sudden, we've got men that were uh, just two months ago locked away. I mean, the day of Pentecost was 50 years. That's what penny means. 50 or 50 years, 50 days. 50 days from when Jesus ascended. Jesus ascends 50 days later. We're not even two months into this thing. And now we've got the disciples out preaching the kingdom, doing signs and wonders, uh, going before the very men that they were locked in a room scared of two months ago. I mean, you're thinking, it's January. So go back to November, and they were locked up in a room, afraid of people coming to kill them. Now they're standing before those very people, and they're saying, just look, we, we can't do anything about this. Just don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And the disciples retort back, and they say, uh, I'm sorry, we can't do anything but preach in the name of Jesus. Life is on the line. They just watched their best friend, the guy they've been following for three years, hang on a cross, go through the worst beating and the worst pain in their entire lives, and they're able to stand there and say, I can do nothing. I mean, that's some boldness. And that only came because of the Holy Spirit. That only came because of the power and the Holy Spirit being evident in their lives. Uh, we saw the effect that the power and the signs and the wonders that they were doing brought people to salvation. It brought people to salvation. We also saw that the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit coming upon someone uh, was for everybody. We went through that and we saw it's not just for a few select people. God doesn't just handpick and say, Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, you, not Holy Spirit, you. It's for everybody. I mean, the Samaritans are getting it. Uh, the Gentiles were getting it. Peter had to re see in a vision that he was actually allowed to go to a certain group of people and preach to them Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Had Jesus not given him that vision, he wouldn't have gone. These were people that aren't supposed to receive this. So there's nobody missing. We already know that God, he's no respecter of persons. Why would he give to one person a special gift that he wouldn't give to another? We do know there are gifts of the Spirit, but there are gifts for everybody. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. And what he has you specifically do with that gift, that varies. But we also know this, that not one of those gifts is better than the other. 
Not one of those gifts is better than the other. And we'll get to the gifts of the Spirit. But tonight, we're going to kind of turn a corner. We've been talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I want to go into a Spirit-led life. A Spirit-led life. Now, when I say a life of the Spirit or life in the Spirit, I'm not saying that you're walking around with your head in the clouds and nothing in the earth can touch you and you're just this weird, awkward person. Nobody can talk to you and you just have a spiritual answer. I remember... Uh, when I was in Bible school, you know, it's funny because it's only two-year school. So you immediately go from freshman to senior within three months. And so your first year, you're like new kid on the block. You don't really know a whole lot. And so you're just trying to impress people like crazy. And so you got people just sounding spiritual. I remember, man, I had this one guy come over to my apartment, and uh, my roommate and him, they were playing uh, Madden back then. I don't know if Madden's still a big hit today. Uh, but they were playing Madden on a PlayStation 2. PS2 had just come out. And so they're playing Madden uh, 2001, I guess it would have been. That's when I was in school. And um, afterwards, they were ju- we were just kind of talking about the Bible and stuff. And uh, he was telling me, he was telling us about this vision he had, that why he knew he was supposed to come to Rhema. And he said, you know, he was just in his room praying, and all of a sudden the walls just started shaking. And and he just knew that God's presence was there, and, and blah, blah, blah. And he ain't doing jack today. I, I've just found out just maybe a month or two ago, ain't doing nothing. I'll tell you right now, your spiritual experience, I'm talking about a spiritual lifestyle. I'm not talking about a couple, and I'm not refuting it. It could have happened. But I'm telling you, and the reason why I, I'm going to hit on this part so hard the spirit-led lifestyle, is because I've seen way too many spiritual people that are so far away from the Word and so far out there, it's not even funny. I mean, I had a lady in Bible school that every time you ask her, uh, you know, hey, how are you doing today? Blessed and highly favored the Lord, and, and just go on and just have the, you know, it's like, you know, a simple, a simple, uh, oh, I'm doing good, that's all right. You know, you don't have to impress me. I'm, I'm here in school just as you are. And some of you may know people like that. And I'm not saying it's bad, but some people are so far out there that when you try to bring them down to earth, now we can't get them there. And the problem is, is that a lot of these spiritual people have some of the sickest, worst character you'd ever seen in their lives. The things they do and things they say, and it's just, hey, Let's follow the Bible, and let's, let, let's not just look for a spiritual experience, and let's, let's not just look for, you know, did I pray for three hours, and, and you know, I was sweating blood, and, and the walls were shaking, and things were falling down. I mean, I want a spiritual lifestyle. That's what I want. Uh, the, the people in my life that I deem as spiritual, I can talk to them about football. I can talk to them about things of the things of this world that we're in, I'm not talking about things of the world, sinful things. I'm talking about just being down-to-earth people. I, they're not on a whole other level. And when it's time to talk spiritual, boy, we can talk spiritual. We can talk the Bible, and, and I can receive from them. But they're not. when I say they're spiritual people, I'm not saying that I can't joke around with them or hang out with them or you know, just have a good time. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Pastor Earl, obviously, in my life, y'all don't know him the way I do. I mean, I live with him. And 
to be honest with you, when if he's in town or if I'm down there, sometimes I just want to talk to him about, I don't want to talk about church. And I know he doesn't want to talk about church. We live it daily. It's a weight. For pastors, it can be a weight. And, and the things that our body's going through or struggles in the ministry or whatever, and it's like, man, I just want to take him out to eat and just talk about football. I just want to take him out to eat and, you know, let's just talk about Jeeps. He loves Jeeps. He loves Jeeps and fixing Jeeps up. And I love trucks and I love fixing. Let's just talk about vehicles. Uh, let's just talk about family. Let's talk about our kids. You know, it doesn't always have to be spiritual. And that doesn't make me any less spiritual. Okay. So I want to properly identify what a spirit led lifestyle looks like. That's what I want to do. Because I don't want us trying to get on a spiritual level above people and acting like we can't talk to people until they get to our level. Uh, That's ridiculous stuff, okay? And there's things that are happening in churches and people think they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they're not. They're not. In fact, it's called deception. And the enemy, if he can deceive you and think that you're getting closer to God, but yet your character stinks and you still cuss at people and you still say things you shouldn't say and you still answer back when you shouldn't answer back and... You're still doing things within your own lifestyle that nobody knows about, but it's hidden, and we ain't getting nowhere. So I want to have truly uh, spiritual people that are led by the Spirit of God in everything they do. Amen? So that's where we want to go tonight. Well, Father, I thank you that our minds are open, our hearts are receptive to your word. I thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you for those that are here, that they have uh, given their time to be here tonight, to hear your word. I thank you that we will grow by it. I'll be a good steward of the time that's given to us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak through me, through my mouth, and uh, that your word will go forth, and we'll, uh, we will receive it with power, and we will see it evident in our, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The first thing you have to understand, we're talking about character, okay? Um, a lot of people, we don't associate the Holy Spirit with character anymore. We, some, some of us forget that there are fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, we think of the Holy Spirit as uh, how many times you prophesied. How many people have you won to Jesus? Uh, how many times have you given a tongue or interpreted a tongue? How many times have you given a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual? We, we bring in all these terms, but we forget there's fruits of the Spirit. We forget about love. Forget about joy. And peace, and patience. I mean, we can just about quote them. But are those things evident in our lives? And that's the character that we're talking about. When you talk about character, I'm talking about your behavior. I'm talking about behavior. Now, here's the thing about behavior. I've said this before. Behavior is determined by your nature. The behavior of a thing is determined by the nature of a thing. Nature of a dog is to bark. So its behavior will be to bark. Behavior of a cat is to meow. So I should expect a cat to meow. If I am expecting a cat to bark, guess what? I'm going to be pretty disappointed. And disappointment comes from false expectations. Now, we had an old nature. I cannot, ref- I cannot just put this on the back burner and say forget about your old nature. Because guess what? It didn't disappear when you got saved. Okay? Your, your old nature, your old wants and desires are there. 
That's why Paul says you have to put them down. That's why he said, I die daily. That's why he said, I put my body under. He's not saying that we're living in the clouds and we're not affected by this world and the things in this world have nothing on us. And That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to put it under. This is called discipline. So our behavior is determined by our nature. But I need to take it a step further because the problem is, is we have two natures that are warring against each other. And this is where we're tying in the kingdom mind renewal tonight. I just came off of kingdom mind renewal. I told you about halfway through kingdom mind renewal, I knew we were going here. Because when you talk about the mind, I'm talking about your lifestyle. I'm not talking about trying to get you to be smarter or get you to think differently or just have happy thoughts all the time. It's to generate a different lifestyle. And so we're cluing in on what that lifestyle is. So we're talking about the mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, two things we're looking at. First, flesh. Second, spirit. Notice who has control of, who they, of what you set your mind on. You. Who's doing the setting? You. I can't control my thoughts. I just can't, I just can't help thinking about it. False. The Bible tells me, for those who live according to the flesh, you set your mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We're talking about a Spirit-led life. This verse right here tells us that your Spirit-led life is fully determined by your Spirit-led thought life. Remember how, what we've been saying. Let's go back. If I want to get you anywhere, i got to get you thinking it first. got to get your mind there first. Anywhere I want to steer you, i got to get your mind up ahead of that thing. I got to get you thinking that way. If you want to see your finances in your life change, you need to think differently about finances. If you want to see, come on, we got all we all got kinds of all kinds of goals and stuff for 2012. The first place it's going to happen, the first place you're going to reach that goal right here. You want to eat differently, then you got to start thinking about eating differently. Uh, you want to live differently. If you want your marriage to be different, you got to start thinking about your marriage differently. And let me tell you this, you want to think on the Word. What does the Word say about taking care of your body? What does the Word say about your marriage? What does the Word say about your finances? See, we all know what the world says about those things. The world says, do what feels good. If you don't feel like you love that person anymore, get out. If you don't feel like saving money, spend it. If you don't feel like eating right, eat all you want. That's why we got commercials telling you to eat anything you want. And they're trying to make it healthy and it ain't working. Okay? The world is attempting something that God's already figured out. He just needs you to think about it. He just needs to get your mind on it. So we see that the lifestyle is determined by the thought life. We know this. We're trying to get the lifestyle in order. Behavior is determined by nature. Now, we had an old nature. And you said, dear Jesus, come into my heart. I make you Lord of my life. 
take away all my sins. I believe you died on the cross, rose again from the grave. And what happened? You became born again. We have a new nature. So this nature ought to be evident in our behavior. Behavior is determined by life, by nature. So to get your behavior to line up with the nature, there's a middle ground. There's somebody in the middle that determines. Whoever wins the battle of your mind determines your behavior or your lifestyle. So that's why I have to take it a different, another step further. I can't just stop at behaviors determined by nature. We've got two natures. Your behavior is determined by which nature you give yourself to. Whoever wins the battle of the mind, according to this verse, that determines the lifestyle. Think on the flesh, live according to the flesh. Think on the spirit, live according to the spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I love how easy the Bible makes it. You know, uh, I think it was Joshua in the Old Testament said, I lay before you two choices, life and death. That's easy. Guess what he did? He took it a step further and said, choose life. That's like somebody placing before you a 50-50 test with two answers that you obviously know which one is right and then telling you the right answer. I mean, God makes it so simple. I'm telling you, no one can stand before God. There we go, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants. This ain't just for you. This is for your kids. This is for your grandkids. This is for your whole generation, for all your descendants. Based upon your little choice, which you already have the answer to, which you already knew the answer when the question was given. So we can't get much. You can't stand before God and say, but I didn't know. I didn't know that I needed to think on the Spirit. I didn't know not to think on the flesh. I didn't realize that if I thought on the flesh, I would live according to the flesh. Can't do it. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He doesn't even just stop at life. Not only will you have life, but you'll have peace in that life. That's good. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That word enmity means something that sounds a lot like it. An enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Nor indeed can be. If you're trying to get your carnal mind to get in alignment with God, don't bother. It can't. We have to get over into a spiritual mind. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very simple. We know that people that can please God are people that use and operate by faith. Faith pleases God. Or, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay. So, a spiritual lifestyle is dependent upon your behavior and your character. And that behavior is determined by your nature. 
But there's two natures operating within us. There's a flesh and there's a spirit. Whoever wins the battle of the mind, whatever you're processing your mind on, I'm going to tell you right now, it is easier to set your mind on the flesh than it is the spirit. First of all, you only come here twice a week. Okay? That's one place you receive the word. Two, uh, we can receive the word by reading the word and being in communication with God. But how many of you know, and I've said this before, I'm not the only one preaching to you. Preaching just simply means to proclaim something. Um, If you're in school, there's something proclaiming something to you at your school. Uh, If you're at a job, you probably have employees, co-workers, employers, that probably aren't preaching the word to you. A billboard on the side of the road probably ain't preaching to you the word. TV probably ain't. There's all kinds of things that are vying for your attention and vying for your time and that are trying to what? Distract you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit isn't trying to stop, or sometimes the enemy isn't trying to stop you. He's just trying to distract you. In fact, he can almost do more damage in getting you off of the path and heading on another path than just stopping you where you're at. Okay? The enemy is out there to distract you. The enemy is out there to pull your attention away. The attention for you and the attention for your mind. So we have the flesh and we have the spirit. And we're supposed to live according to one or the other. You will live according to one or the other. We're supposed to be spirit-led. Now, here's the thing. Let's go to, uh, do we want to go there? Uh, let's, let's hold off. Let me say this real quick. To be spirit-led is what we call maturity. As a believer, we know this, that you can grow up. There is a spiritual growth process. If you are born again, that means that you start out as a baby. Spiritually speaking, you start out as a baby. Uh, We know that Peter, he said, uh, as newborn babes in Christ desire the milk of the word. What's that mean? That means we ain't going to be trying to shove some steak down your throat just yet. Let's just get you on some fundamental elementary truths. In fact, over in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer actually calls them Elementary principles. What are the basics? What are the basics that you need to know to live out this thing? On No matter what level you're on, there are truths on that level that can reach you where you're at. So you have no excuse. Well, I couldn't comprehend that. I couldn't know. No, where you're at today, the Bible can reach you where you're at. And it can pull you up. It's always meant to grow you up. Uh, my son right now, he started out on a bottle. Then he started eating some kind of mushy stuff. And now he's chomping down on these little uh, crunchy things that, if hey, if he doesn't have the teeth to crunch them up just yet, they'll dissolve in his mouth. It's okay. What's it doing? It's reaching him on his level. One day he'll be, eating it, be able to eat some fruit. One day he'll be able to maybe eat some Chick-fil-A. And that'll be a fun day because I'm going to have to go to Chick-fil-A way more than I already go to Chick-fil-A. One day he'll be able to eat steak. One day he'll be able to eat whatever he wants. But what's the goal? The goal is to get him where he's at. I'm not trying to take him to Texas Roadhouse and get him a big old T-bone and say, all right, eat it up. 
Why? He ain't at the level to get it. I'm going to choke him. I'm going to choke him. One of my jobs as a pastor is determined is to determine where you're at. And sometimes I just do it by seeing your faces. And if I if I get that blue that blue look, pastor, you're choking me. I can't I can't get Guess what? We'll go back and man, we'll mush it up. We'll break it down. I'll stick it in a blender, man. We'll figure out a way for you to get the word. Amen. Why? Because I want to grow you up. I don't want to hinder you or slow you down. You know, with a child, uh, in their growth process, if you try to push them too far, it'll actually hinder them, and they'll stop trying to do whatever you're trying to get them to do. They'll go, they'll go back just to the bottle if you're trying to put something in their mouth that they can't chew up. They'll say, forget that solid stuff. Just get me the watery stuff. I'll just suck on it and swallow it all day long. I don't need to move my jaw around. Okay? You'll hinder them. Hey, I can I can make allusions to children all day long because that's what we are growing up. What's that? Oh, Texas Roadhouse, Chick-fil-A, Olive Garden. Yeah. I I hear you. I hear you. I, I actually I actually did that on a Sunday. I mentioned steak or something on Sunday and someone came up to me and said, Man, you got to push that steak stuff closer to the end of your message. You can't do that stuff in the middle. I didn't hear nothing after Texas Roadhouse. I wiping the drool off my face. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I'm just trying to get you hungry for the Word. I'm trying to get you hungry for the steak of the Word. Amen? So, anyways, we are in a growth process. And the Word will, will grow you up. It will get you mature. Here's the difference between a spiritually mature and spiritually immature. Go back to a child. As a child, when I was a child, my mom had to tell me, don't go in the road. Don't play in the road. Now that I'm grown up, there's something on the inside of me that tells me, don't go in the road. Sad would it be. If I had to have my mom still telling me, don't go in the road when cars are coming by. Don't talk to strangers. They might hurt you. Right? All these things that our parents tell us when we are children. What's that called when someone is telling you what to do? An outside restraint. But as you grow up, we're now expected to restrain ourselves from the inside. A spiritually mature person, this is a spirit-led lifestyle right here, a spirit-led lifestyle is being restrained from the inside. Is I don't have to have my pastor tell me not to go there. I don't have to have another spiritual person or friend in my life tell me I shouldn't do that. I'm now spiritually mature and at the level where I can restrain myself. I don't have to go to my pastor and say, should I look at this website? I know on the inside, I probably shouldn't go to this website. I don't have to call my friend and always be accountable to them and say, hey, do you think I should watch this television show? What do you think about it? You look at the ratings. I should be able to rise up on the inside and say, that's probably something I should not be watching. Those are called Internal restraints. An immature believer 
has no internal restraints. Now, here's the thing about maturity and immaturity in a spiritual sense. It's not based upon your age. There are some things that at our age maybe we should know, and we, have, we need more restraints on the inside. But, you know, it's sad if you see a 40-year-old walking out in the middle of the road and get hit by a car. Well, no one told me not to go on the road. Okay, you're not three. We should be beyond that now. But spiritually speaking, people are on different levels. And so the Word gets you, it meets you where you're at to draw you to another level. God's always about getting you to another level. And spiritual growth is the same. We're not supposed to stay babies. I I feel sorry for believers that are stuck in churches that just want to keep them babies. And part of that is a pastor that is insecure and uh, is worried about his job. Because if I teach you what you should do, and you can, you can do it on your own now, you don't need me. You don't have to call the pastor and say, hey, can you pray for me? Because you can stop right where you're at and say, no, in the name of Jesus, this headache cannot come on me. No, in the name of Jesus, uh, that's not going to happen to my children. No, in the name of Jesus... I'm not going to lack in my finances, right? That's what a pastor ought to be doing. But there's a lot of pastors out there there, there with job security issues, insecurity issues, and say, well, I always need to be needed. I always need them to come into me. No, my goal is to strengthen you up and grow you up so you can do those things on your own, okay? So a spiritually mature person is one that has internal restraints. Now, this is what the kingdom is all about. See, religion, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, what they were all about when Jesus was on the earth, was about controlling people's lives with a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. And so they were immature. They needed an outside restraint saying, cut your hair this length, don't cut your hair this length. You can talk to these people. You can't hang out with these kind of people. You have to go to church on these days. You can't go to church on these days. You have to pray like this, and you can't pray. I mean, look at all these other religions. We've been talking in prayer on Sunday mornings, uh, talking about how Christians aren't the only ones that pray. We didn't invent this thing, okay? There are other religions and other denominations that are more religious about praying than Christians are. I mean, they have to face the right direction. They have to get their little carpet out. Uh, they got the exact time of the day that they got to pray. The sun's got to be the exact position when they pray. That's way more religious than Christians. I mean, I can be in my car and pray. I can be in the bathroom and pray. I can be at work and pray. Whatever. I can pray because I'm communicating to my God. Okay? But see, all these religions are bound by outside influences. What is that? That's just immaturity. That's religion. Religion is an outside restraint. And some people enjoy going to those churches because they don't want to have to have the responsibility of restraining themselves from the inside. I want to go to the church that tells me I can only cut my hair this long. I I want to go to the church that says I have to wear my dress like this. I want to go to the church that says I can't wear any makeup or I have to go on Sunday mornings or I have to pray at a certain time. Why? Because now I don't have the personal responsibility and restraint on the inside saying you need to pray to God. You need to look like a Christian. You need to do what a believer would do. They don't want that restraint. They don't want that responsibility. They don't want to have to do that and grow up. So that's the difference. A spirit-led person has restraints on the inside, internal restraints. That's what spiritual growth brings. 
Now, here's what an immature person is. Well, first let's do this. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. We were just there. We go a little bit further down. I'm kind of laying a foundation here on a life in the Spirit, kind of showing what a Spirit-led lifestyle is all about. It's not about hokey-pokey and uh, doing weird stuff and being awkward and nobody can talk to you because you're just a weird person and you're always so spiritual. Uh, It's about having the Holy Spirit direct your life. I mean, Spirit-led means you're led by the Spirit. We're going somewhere. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, the Bible talks about your body as a house, a house of God, a building, a temple. It actually says uh, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a house. You are housing the Holy Spirit. Now, in Bible times, when it talked about uh, children, there was a difference between a child and a son. And when I say son, I'm not just limiting that to man, because you got to understand, when you're talking about your spirit, there is no sexual gender there. Uh, it, the Bible, uh, God said that he created man. When he's created man, he's talking about his spirit, and he's talking about female and male, male and female. That This outside is what gets the gender, but your your spirit has no gender, okay? When In the Bible, when there's a difference between child and son. A child was one that lived in the house under the father's rulership and authority. A son was determined by maturity when you were able to take over the affairs of the house. So, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Being a son is determined by the maturity level to now control your own house. Meaning, you can restrain yourself without having someone else tell you do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this. You are a child of God when you're born again. You are a son of God when you reach the maturity level to be able to control and manage your own house. So instead of having to have a pastor or some outside influence in your life, a mother or a father or a husband or a wife or a friend that you're accountable to, telling you this is how you should live, now you know within this is how I ought to live. And so to take care of my house, I shouldn't let this in my body. I shouldn't let my eyes see this. I shouldn't let my ears hear this. I shouldn't let my mouth say this. I shouldn't let my mind think on this. Now I have those restraints. Now I have reached the maturity level to manage my own house. Now I'm considered a son of God. Those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. Now, I've said this before. Um, I don't have the time to lay it out. But this Corinthian church was a mess, an absolute mess. 
in one chapter, Paul commends them for moves of the Spirit. In fact, he said there were too many moves of the Spirit. The, the psalms and the hymns, the prophecies, there were no interpretations being given. There was too many speaking at one time, and he had to bring order to it because it was happening so much in their services. I mean, every service, the move of the Spirit was taking place. Okay? The same church. In one chapter, he has to talk to them about a son sleeping with his father's wife. In the same chapter, or in the same book, he has to talk to them about backbiting and gossiping and envying and talking about each other and saying who in the church is better than another person. The same church. This is what we're talking about. Spiritual level is not determined by the gifts and the moves of the Spirit that are happening and associated with your life. Because the same group of people are acting like sons of the devil, doing things that today we would think are just sick. But yet, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, tongues and interpretation, gifts of the Spirit, moves of the Spirit are taking place. They're in operation. So look what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. See, he's wanting to talk to them on a certain level, and he can't. But as to carnal, I can talk to you as to carnal people. What's carnal? As to babes in Christ. That's what we're talking about. That's what a carnal person Carnal doesn't mean sinner. Carnal means saved. You have to be saved to be carnal. If you're not saved, then you're just a sinner. But a carnal person is one that is saved, but still giving themselves over to the flesh, the two natures. Their behavior is being determined by a nature that is old and should be passed away. Yet, things are still taking place. Verse 2. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. He's talking about before. This is a church that Paul had set up, left, put somebody else in position to run it, and now is coming back to check up on it. He's saying, when I first set the church up, I fed you with milk and not solid food. Why? Because you weren't able to handle it. You were a babe in Christ. For until now, you were not able to receive it. But look what he says. And even now, You are still not able. He's expecting this church to be able to handle spiritual things. He's expecting this church to be at another level. Verse 3. For you are still carnal. Look what he says is taking place. There's envy. There's wanting what other people have. Strife. Divisions. In church. This is church. We're talking to church. Are you not carnal and behaving? Behaving. Behavior. The behavior that I'm seeing, the behavior that I'm hearing about, is not where I believe you should be. He's expecting them to be at another level. What? They're not being spirit-led. This carnal behavior is for immature believers. It's giving yourself over to the flesh when you ought to be led 
by the Spirit. The thing you have to understand is that when God created man, he set in man a protocol of how things should operate. When he created Adam, he created Adam and took a spirit being and put it inside of a flesh suit. Now, before Adam sinned, the flesh suit had no say. He had a flesh, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. Only one of those three entities dictated or governed Adam's life. Can you guess which one? The spirit. You don't see anywhere in there where Adam did anything he wanted to do. You don't see anywhere in the first two chapters of Genesis where he just got real emotional and real sad and just, you know, couldn't treat Eve the right way because, you know, he was upset with her and she ticked him off. And so he said, you know what? I'm just not going to talk to you right now. I know I'm your husband. I know I'm supposed to treat you so You don't see it. But sin came in. And what happened? The, see, the thing you have to understand is that God, he set things in order for a certain way for them to be. And now the entire system of the world is going against what God originally put. See, God designed your flesh and your suit to adhere to your spirit. Now, sin is in the world. And now your flesh, suit, and your soul, now they get a say. Now they jump up and say, yeah, we're going to do what I want to do. We're going to think on what I want to think about. We're going to, whatever, whatever my desires are, whatever my lusts are, we're doing that now. Yeah, this spirit, we ain't, we ain't concerned with that no more. However I feel, if I feel sad, then man, I'm going to feel sad. If I feel angry, then I'm going to feel angry. If I feel excited, then I'll feel excited. If I feel worried and anxious, that's what we're going to do. So now the spirit has taken a back seat to the very thing that was supposed to be governed by the spirit. See, our spirit was supposed to show itself in our flesh. The flesh, this flesh is just a vehicle to get something done in the earth. Because God said in Genesis 1.26, Let them have dominion. Let them have control. He gave the power to man to get the job done in the earth through the flesh, through the emotions. So the flesh is supposed to show and do and generate what's on the inside. This thing's supposed to be coming from the inside out. The title of my message tonight is Inside Out. The flesh is supposed to reveal to the world, I have a spirit that's of God inside of me. My emotions are supposed to show the world that What is on the inside is dictating my life. The Spirit of God on the inside of me is now being shown. So when I feel like talking back to you, I don't. When I feel like punching you in the face, I forgive you. When I feel like turning my back on you and walking away, I ask you to be my friend. That's supposed to be revealed. But now we got it backwards. 
all the systems of the world. I mean, the economic system is backwards. The government system is backwards. The sports system is backwards. I was just talking with uh, Keith and, and Chuck and Jimmy earlier about Tim Tebow and what's happening. My gosh, he has gone into the sports industry and changed it. He's not a, How many people, how many athletes, how many people have we seen, good people, awesome people, honest people, get into the sports industry and it changes them? Their character changes, their lifestyle changes, their desires, their wills. They get a hold of some money, now they want to, it's their own thing. It has not changed him. And he doesn't even have full revelation, I'll tell you right now. I know his background, I know what he knows, I know what level of knowledge he He don't even have full, but he knows this, that Jesus is the reason why I'm on this earth, and I'm going to proclaim him and show him through everything I do. So when someone talks bad about me, I'll talk good about them. When someone puts me down, I'm going to lift them up. When someone tries to shut me down and, and put me back, I'm going to rise higher. I'm going to continue proclaiming my God. When someone talks about why I talk about Jesus so much, I'm going to talk about Jesus some more. What's he doing? He's gone into the industry and he's changing it. Because there's something on the inside of him that overrides what, he, what his flesh wants to do. He's a flesh being. He's not Jesus. He's not Jesus. He has a flesh. He's not God. He's got flesh. There's things that are being said about him. There's some terrible things that are said about him. And you don't see him one time. I mean, the world is literally trying to wait and watch for him to fail. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, like, can he just get a speeding ticket? Or can he just say a cuss word? Or can he just, you know, punch somebody or hit somebody or just be mean? Just be a mean person. I mean, the world is wanting him to be mean. We got enough mean people in the world. We're not excited about... The one person that's doing it right. We're not excited about the one person that's going in and changing something. No, eventually it'll get to him. Eventually the money will get to him. I'm telling you, he's in there doing something different. He's doing what we're talking about. He's letting a character within him come out of him. That's what he's doing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within him. And it's telling him. No, don't say that. Say this. No, don't answer back with that. Answer back with this. No, don't say that. Say nothing. Do this. Do this with your money. He's being kingdom led. I mean, he's giving money to the Philippines. He's got, uh, you know, he's been doing the, the trip to the Philippines for years. Since he was 14 or 15 years old going there. I mean, he was born in the Philippines. His dad is a missionary there. You know, and I don't know all the ins and outs about his life, but I can promise you this, that it's evident. He doesn't have to walk around everywhere speaking in tongues. He doesn't have to walk around everywhere preaching and proclaiming Jesus. It's evident because he's nice to people, because love operates in his life, because he's joyful and excited, because he's at peace. Even when, he's, even when he has an opportunity to be angry or upset or worried, Tell me he hasn't had some opportunities in the last six months to be worried about his job, about his position, his reputation as a quarterback. I mean, he's an athlete. He wants to be the best and excel at what he does. And he may not have the best numbers. But I'm telling you right now, and I don't, I said it several weeks ago, 
I will not be surprised if he goes to the Super Bowl and wins it. Why? Because he's got God on his side. And I know that sounds cliche. I know that sounds, oh yeah, what God's actually helping him. Yeah! God is going to exalt him and lift him up because he's putting someone else first. Will he beat Tom Brady this week? I don't know. Will he beat Aaron Rodgers? I don't know. Or whoever else gets in the way. But I will know this, that if he does lose, guess who's getting the glory? God. If he gets a bonus at the end of the season for getting the Broncos to the playoffs, guess who's getting the glory to God? Guess who's going to have first right of refusal with the money? God. And you know what? He's going to be blessed. He's, he is blessed. My gosh, he's everything we're talking about. I, I could just go on with that. I could just go on with that. I don't know where I was. <clears throat> we're talking about you, your, your spirit not being dicta- dictated by your flesh and by your soul. Man was not created, ordained. This was not the protocol. God set something in order, and now the system's backwards. The very vehicle that our spirit needs to do something in the earth is now calling the shots. And the Spirit is in the back seat saying, when do I get a say? When do I tell you how to react? When do I tell you how to respond? Let me tell you what being carnal is. Let me just break it down make it simple. Being carnal is acting, thinking, and responding the way the world does. That's carnal. That's carnality. If somebody cusses me out, how would I respond if I were in the world? And then giving into that. If somebody hits me, how would I respond if I were in the world? I mean, that's everything that Jesus dealt with. If they hit you, turn the other cheek. If they take your jacket, give them the shirt off your back. What's he saying? Be led by the Spirit. That doesn't mean that Christians are just, we just get walked over and we're just rugs and carpets and everyone just tramples all over us. And we're just a doormat. That's not what I'm saying. Because there is a time to be bold, and there is a time where the kingdom of God will show in you so much that you will have an answer back. But it will be out of love. It will be out of correction. It will be out of restoration. It won't be out of trying to save face. It won't be out of, oh, I'm going to show them. It won't be out of, this is my, my reputation's on the line. It won't be about you. It will be about getting the kingdom in somebody. So carnality is simply responding to, look, there are many emotional moments that we ought to be more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ought to be more, there are some emotional moments where you could just break down and cry. You could just get angry. I mean, I know of someone right now today got some news that they could have had the biggest emotional moment in their life They could have been sitting on the edge of their seat worrying, saying, what am I going to do now? Where am I going to go? How am I going to... What about my family? What about my kids? What about this? What about that? And you know what? I got a spiritual response out of them. An automatic, just straight up slap in the devil's face. What he brought to destroy and do bad, he's going to turn it around and we're going to see God do something good out of it. And the the response is what will dictate what happens in the next weeks. The rejoicing, the life. That's exciting. That's 
having an opportunity to be carnal, having an opportunity. What would anybody else on the job site do? They get the same news. How many of them called their wives and said, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I, I've, I've been here for 15 years. What, where am I going to go now? This is all I've known. I, I don't have any experience in anything else. I, don't have, I haven't even done anything else. I mean, so many. What about the kids? I mean, how, how are we going to put food on the table? What, look, the world responds to these things, and they are scatterbrained, have no way out. But we have someone living inside of us, a guide into our future that's already in his past. He's already been there. God did not wake up this morning and say, Wow, I did not see that one coming. We better, get, we better figure this out. Right? Well, guess what? His spirit, come on, this is why we're putting emphasis on this. Because his spirit lives in us. That means the same spirit that went, all right, here's the way out, lives in us and can say, all right, here's the way out. Man, there ain't no reason to get broke down. There ain't no reason to get hurt. There ain't no reason to get worried and anxious and sad and angry. Those responses don't come from spirit-led people. A spirit-led person does the opposite of what the person in the world does. So you can have ten people in a line that are told, we're letting you go, and one spiritual person go, all right, there's another assignment somewhere. God, you show me where it is because I wasn't at this job to make money anyways. Apparently my time is up and we will move on. Where do you want me? Who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to be? And nine out of the ten will go, great, can't call my wife. What am I going to do? How many of them hit the bars? How many of them just went driving because they just couldn't bring it up to their wives and couldn't talk to anybody? Just broke down crying, got angry, maybe yelled at the person that was saying we're laying you off, had an emotional response. But thank God we had someone that had a spiritual response. A spiritual response. That's being led by the Spirit. And man, we can rejoice with that. Amen? Look, one last verse here. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. We were just there. We'll read it one more time. Man. This is good, amen? Romans 8, verse 7. The carnal mind. See, you can have a mind that's carnal. What's that mean? That means you have a mind that thinks the way the world thinks. So we're saved, but yet we're reverting back. Okay? The carnal mind is enmity or an enemy against God. You know what that means? That means that a carnal mind is a mind that refuses and is literally fighting against everything God is about. That's a carnal mind. Everything that God is about, it will not submit, it will not come under, and it fights against it, vigorously pushing against it. That's a carnal mind. It is not subject to the law. One thing you'll find about carnal people is they have a real strong problem with submission and bringing themselves under. Submission. Nor indeed can be. 
this thing won't turn around. The only way to get your mind on the things of God and what God wants to do, give yourself to the Spirit. Set your mind on spiritual things. So this is the difference on the Spirit-led lifestyle. Your Spirit-led lifestyle is led, determined, governed, dictated by a Spirit-led thought life. Your mind. Okay? We don't want to be carnal. I'm going to tell you right now. And you know what? There's a lot of believers that are okay with that. I'm saved. How many of you have ever heard the term, a sinner saved by grace? Ever heard that? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I hate that so much with a passion. With a passion. A sinner saved by grace. That means, one, you don't understand what a sinner is. And two, you don't understand what grace is. A sinner is someone, I mean, that is who you were. When Jesus saved you, he took away that identity. I mean, you're literal. it's almost like you're slapping Jesus in the face and saying, you dying on the cross wasn't enough to change who I was. You're just trying to give me an ability to be a little bit better. You're telling me everything he went through and everything he did and all that he took on those three days wasn't enough to completely restore and change your lifestyle? I I hate it. Well, you know, I still sin. Then stop sinning. We won't be a sinner. I, I say it all the time. Now, I heard someone say it, and it just lit within me. If you stop sinning, you put the devil out of business. Sin is the only thing. I, I, we, we said it on Sunday when we, we brought the kingdom. We started laying out the foundation for the kingdom. The only way the serpent had any access to Eve and to Adam was if they disobeyed the word of the king. Otherwise, he had no way in. Otherwise, he couldn't have brought them down. Couldn't have done anything to their life. Does the enemy attack? Yes. But when you're in alignment with the king, then there's nothing from an outside source that can touch you or attack you. You're not a sinner. A sinner is one who practices sin, who makes a repeated habit, a habitual habit of sinning and sinning and sinning and not caring. And that's a scary place to be. Because the Holy Spirit is there to convict and to show you, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. But again, he's not going to control you. He's a gentleman. Which means he's going to tell you, shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Red flags. Red flags are great. I love red flags. Because the red flag will grow up and say, and how many red flags do we override? How many red flags do we go by? I mean, you know, when I counsel people or talk to people on issues or things that have happened or a certain situation or circumstance, first thing I pull up is red flags. Uh, should you been over at her house? Uh, should you have been watching that? Should you have been on the computer in that room by yourself? I mean, there's all kinds of red flags going up saying we shouldn't be here. And the end result takes place because we went by one red flag, another red flag, another red flag. Just going up like crazy. That's the Holy Spirit saying, let's stop, let's leave, 
Just don't do that. But see, that flesh, that carnal flesh is saying, stay a little bit longer. And the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, you probably shouldn't touch them. And the flesh is saying, touch them. And the Holy Spirit is saying, let's turn off the TV. And the flesh is saying, let's see what comes next. Come on, we're hitting home now. This is what the Holy Spirit is in our life, that conviction. It's not condemnation. Man, I just feel so condemned. No, you feel convicted because the Holy Spirit is saying, this is who you are and you don't need to go here. You don't need to touch that. You don't need to see that. You don't need to hear that. That's why the Holy Spirit's in our life. A Spirit-led individual is not someone that's high up in the clouds, awkward, weird. I can't even talk to you because you just have a weird spiritual answer every time you want to quote some verses to me. Spiritual person is one that can, yep, I'm not going to do that. Nope, I'm not going to say that. Yep, I'm going to go there. That's a spirit-led lifestyle. That's what we're talking about. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you this evening that we've had the 